Hey there. Welcome to Join the Conversation, the Falvey Memorial Library One Book Podcast. I'm your host, Daniela Snyder, a graduate assistant in the Communication and Marketing Department here at the library and a graduate student in the English Department at Villanova. For the 2019-2020 academic year, the One Book Committee selected the national bestseller, I Will Always Write Back, How One Letter Changed Two Lives, written by Villanova alumnus Martin Gonda and Caitlin Ali Frierenka. The true story of an all-American girl and a boy from Zimbabwe and the letter that changed both of their lives forever. It started as an assignment. Everyone in Caitlin's class wrote to an unknown student in a distant place. Martin was lucky to even receive a pen pal letter. There were only 10 letters and 50 kids in his class, but he was the top student, so he got the first one. That letter was the beginning of a correspondence that spanned six years and changed two lives. In this compelling memoir, with an updated epilogue for this edition, Caitlin and Martin recount how they became best friends and better people through their long-distance exchange. The One Book Committee hopes that themes raised by this novel will permeate into academic work, service, and general conversations throughout the rest of the academic year. Falvey Memorial Library is the perfect place to start this academic dialogue and exchange between students, faculty, staff, and administration, and to encourage many voices to join the conversation. To find more content like this, you can find our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter in the podcast description. In this episode, the second of our three-part series, we talk about narrative and language choices in part two, particularly what Martin does and does not say in his letters to Caitlin. We also discuss Martin and his time here as a student at Villanova University. We have an undergraduate student provide her perspectives on the book. And finally, we discuss the cover and other editorial choices that might influence our reading before we even begin. And today I have with me three different people from last week's episode, but still three wonderful people, and I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Adrienne Perry, and I'm a professor in the English department. I study creative writing and literature. I'm particularly interested in prose writing, any kind of storytelling, um, and also translation. Hello, I'm Magan Keda. I'm a professor, professor of history and global interdisciplinary studies, and one of my areas of interest is Africa. I'm Allie Rechek. I am a sophomore undergrad student at Villanova, and I'm a psychology major and communications minor. Awesome. Okay. So, before we started recording, Dr. Keda and I were talking about how he personally knew Martin, mm-hmm. which is not something I've sort of stumbled upon yet. So, unless someone wants to start out someplace different, I'd love to hear some Martin stories to maybe get our conversation going. Me too. Martin's story. The observation you had made, I think, is an important observation about his time here as a student. So I think that most of us who knew Martin as a student would have expected the Martin that we see in the first part of the book to be the only Martin that we knew. Someone who was always bright, sunny, and optimistic. Someone who came from, as Caitlin seemed to think, the same kind of background, the same opportunities, the same privileges Mm -hmm. as a middle-class American young person. Um, Someone who would not have had the kinds of obstacles that Martin faced. So the book in that regard is quite revelatory 
about Martin himself in terms of those of us who knew him for approximately four years. To be a bright, sunny, always smiling, kind chap. That's not to say he isn't and wasn't, but Mm -hmm. someone who didn't have those background issues, that kind of foundation um, that most of us, including Caitlin, would have found unimaginable in the first part of the book. Mm-hmm. Had you read this book prior to its selection as the one book? No. So even, this was a surprise yeah, for you. Yeah, even though Martin had sent me lots of emails <laughs> a while back saying, Dr. Kata, I just wrote a book. I just wrote a book. <laughs> Martin, get in line. I got, <laughs> I got books coming out my, you know, whatever. I, I can't, you know, yeah, so, uh-huh. yeah, so no, uh, not at all. Cool. Well, for someone who also didn't know, I didn't know Martin, this book still had some revelatory aspects from, for most of us, I would say, right, to sort of have something uncovered for us about him and Mm -hmm. and his life. There was always something, almost every chapter, that we were opened up to that we had not known about prior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also think it's really helpful to hear your experience with him and how the book adds layers of uh, nuance and meaning revelations because the book ends on what comes across as a really happy note um, that um, he's, he's made it here, he has this family, and even we're a few years into the future, and we get the sense of someone who has really sort of settled. Um, and so, to so part of part of what I I take from the book, mm-hmm. and again, and this is a kind of pre-Martin mm-hmm. moment. So, in another life, I worked on Capitol Hill, and my main preoccupation with life was. Um, the independence of Zimbabwe. Mm. That's what I worked on. That's what I lobbied on. Oh, wow. That's where I was uh, did my uh, policy analysis. And so to read Martin's firsthand account mm-hmm. of living through post-liberation, post-independent Zimbabwe, and to understand how harrowing is it, it is to to enact, to build a liberated state, mm-hmm. forget about the, the concepts of democracy and all that kind of stuff, but just to build the polity, the kinds of things that go on internally, the things that you usually envision at the top, but then to recognize them at the base level, okay, among people who are, who are in, our, in the sense that we would think of it, and Martin probably thought of it this way too, are extremely marginalized, and to understand how they make their ways through life, then mm-hmm. it's... It's an interesting notion that provides a kind of context mm-hmm. to Martin's life, but also to the political economic, the socio-political economics of the situation that we call Zimbabwe. When you get to the end of the book, mm-hmm. the thing that I reflect on mm. at the end of the book is not so much Martin's bright future, mm. but the brightness of the tenacity of people like Martin mm-hmm. to make futures. Mm-hmm. So that's, if I'm going to talk about this book, if I'm going to teach this book to students, mm-hmm. it, it is that, that issue of agency that needs to be looked at in terms of Martin's uh, mm-hmm. 
life in this space. And I can talk about Caitlin, but Martin, that's what I take away from mm-hmm. in this book, giving it a kind of um, short-term historical context, a context over the past 50 years, and then mm-hmm. projecting it forward into mm-hmm. 20, into 2020. Mm-hmm. Allie, as a student, what were you sort of thinking and reflecting on while you were reading? Well, I think that especially with Caitlin when she was younger, I felt some sort of connection to her in the earlier chapter simply because of how she like went about her life and like the little dramas that she had, mm-hmm. I felt like were very relatable. Um, and then learning about Martin's whole side of it, which was something that like I had never read about, learned about. Um, so definitely was interesting to see his side as being a student at Villanova. I wish that the book had included more about his time here Mm -hmm. just to understand that like he got here Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that his hardships were over that everything was so much easier for him now that he finally like got to America there's still that whole acclimation Mm -hmm. um that he had to have while here we saw was it Wallace his struggles yeah um and that college wasn't exactly what he thought it was going to Mm -hmm. be so what's to say that it was going to be the same for Martin Mm -hmm. um so I wish that they had included some sort of little maybe like chapter about Mm -hmm. what it was like once he got here because I'm sure that that wasn't easy Mm -hmm. it took him years to open up to Caitlin Mm -hmm. right to tell Mm -hmm. him about to tell Caitlin about his life and his upbringing and his hardships and it seems as though maybe he time at college was sort of a doing over of that over and over again of finding Mm -hmm. someone to open up to um and that would have been probably particularly difficult Mm -hmm. to read um because I did want it to end in a happy in a happy way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. But I do wonder if, because like after you said that he was here, he was still like had that very sunny disposition, always like mm-hmm. a happy-go-lucky person. And it seems like every time he's meeting new people, he's putting up a front of, I don't want anyone to know my past. And so I wonder if when mm-hmm. coming to Villanova, he had that same, mm-hmm. I don't want people to know that I struggled in getting here. Right. Um, I think that I think that that was part of that disposition mm-hmm. was in fact um, a kind of shield for four years at Villanova, mm-hmm. um, and four years of the repetitive questioning. So, mm-hmm. how did you get here? What's life like in Africa? Mm-hmm. Writ large, all right. <laughs> What's life like in Zimbabwe? Do you live in a village? What's your tribe? It could go on and on and on and mm-hmm. on, all right? And so, and Martin, Martin's disposition, again, would be someone to sit down and reiterate these things over and over again, rather than saying, enough. Mm-hmm. And so, the, so, the, so trying to figure that kind of thing out and trying to uh, acclimate oneself. Then there's a, the, other, the other question, all right? So um, at the end of the chapter on, the, the section on clues, okay, um, Martin decides that he's going to um, write these letters that very emphatically say, help me, mm-hmm. right? When you're at a place like Villanova, no one says very emphatically, help me, and no one who looks at themselves as being marginal to the process mm-hmm. wants you to believe that they are here under any auspices other than their own initiative. Mm-hmm. 
And look at Martin's case. Martin is not going to admit to someone that someone else is literally, literally picking up the entire tab here. Yeah. So, so it's it's um, it's life at Villanova is is um, is very interesting, and I'm not going to say difficult, but challenging for most people here. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes me think a little bit about you know because I teach nonfiction and um, and and have studied fiction as a writer that. Um, the simplest question can have so much behind it, depending on, you know, we were talking in one of my classes recently about dialogue and that it's not just what you say, but it's what you hear. And that someone's responding to not what you've said, but to what they've heard on the page when we're, you know, so thinking about Martin as, as a person, um, but also in this book as a character, um, or what you're talking about that, Allie, that, you know, to ask somebody, um, how are you doing? even these really simple questions when you realize all of the factors that are impacting how they're, how they're doing, how they feel on this day, in this moment, that, um, that, that answering that question in a way that does justice to all of that reality is, can feel so overwhelming um, and almost impossible. And so what, you know, what a huge show of vulnerability it is to say, I need this help. And one of the things that I... Um, uh, you know, noticed in those letters too is that you know Martin would ask, but then there would always be this moment of, but if this doesn't, you know, if you if you can't do that, then then don't worry, don't don't trouble yourselves. And I feel like um, there's all of that um, vulnerability put out there, but at the same time, a little bit of ah, this may not come my way, and I don't want you, and also I don't want you mm-hmm. to feel bad. And so um, yeah, I'm just thinking about how um, depending on what our histories are. Uh, where we come from, how something that feels so commonplace to just just a question or an interaction for someone else can be deeply, deeply loaded. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I don't know about anyone else, but my favorite one, clearly not because of what it says, but because of its context, is the ice cream wrapper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then if, if we were thinking about clues, okay, mm-hmm. um, that's a clue that Martin, I think, from reading this, had no idea that he was offering. Mm-hmm. I think he simply thought that he was writing a letter. And that in some ways, while it was hardly unnoticeable, mm-hmm. it would have gone unnoticed simply because he had put something on the page. It's kind of mm-hmm. like what you're saying in terms of, of what you hear. Well, mm-hmm. in, in many instances, it's what you choose to see. So he's mm-hmm. thinking, Caitlin is going to see my script mm-hmm. as opposed to what the script is on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm looking at 105. I continued to check the mail every single day for weeks. And then one day, I saw an envelope so completely covered with stamps it barely had space for my name and address. Martin was alive. I ripped it open, thrilled, but when I unfolded the actual letter, I gasped. My friend was writing to me on trash. As I read his small, cramped words explaining why he had disappeared, I felt a crazy mix of relieved and confused. He wrote that he had been kicked out of school because he didn't have enough money to pay the fees. This made no sense. Couldn't he switch to a public one? It was illegal in the United States to just not go to school. 
wasn't it the same in Zimbabwe? I read the next line. I've been carrying luggage and pouring tea just to make money so my family can eat. The pressure that had been building in my chest left no room to breathe. He was a kid. He should be in school, not working to feed his family. Still, I was so relieved to get his letter that I ran into the house shouting, Mom, Martin is alive. He's alive. Thank God, she said, rushing to my side. Is he okay? I tried to answer, but the tears that started in the driveway were now washing over my words. What is it? She asked, concerned. He's not going to school, I managed to say before another wave of tears took over. I sunk my head into my mother's soft shoulder. Mom, he's pouring tea and carrying luggage to help feed his family. Now, now, she said, rubbing my back. Martin is a smart boy. He will find a way to get back into school, Caitlin. Should I keep reading? Maybe the next passage. Mm -hmm. I tensed up. She had no idea what he was experiencing. I could barely grasp it. And as much as I wanted to believe her, I knew he could not do it on his own. I wanted to help, but how? I did not tell my mom any of these thoughts racing through my head. I did not want to lecture about how I needed to concentrate on my own life first or about how Zimbabwe was not the United States. I knew that. I had been reading everything I could find online about the country, story after story of poverty, starvation, and disease. It seemed so illogical, so wrong. I had been worried about Martin for the last two months and I had stopped thinking about much else. My grades started slipping as a result. I had the luxury of not being interested in school while Martin was actually unable to go. It seemed so unfair. I think one of the things that I like maybe about this section is about how Caitlin becomes her character, maybe is the way I want to say this, becomes a lot more likable. Mm. And <laughs> I know, I know. But it's, and, and I talked a lot of, I talked a lot about this with uh, Sarah and Dr. Lucky last week, but, you know, I had to acknowledge that in seventh grade, I was similarly probably in Caitlin's shoes in a lot of ways and not knowledgeable about um, international affairs and difference in culture. And so maybe perhaps part of my dislike was also like a mm. projection of like, I can't believe she felt that way. But inside, I didn't want to admit that I had probably felt that way at some point. But then this is where she, I think, really begins to step up. But this is, this is also the, um, the brilliance of the text, mm. the way in which the text is organized, okay? So if you're sitting, sitting where I'm sitting, okay, and you're reading these dense, dull, deadly dry tomes that <laughs> excite you to no end, and you get, you get something that, that is, um, at its very beginning, we'll use the term, and Ali, this is not directed at you, sophomoric, okay? <laughs> in, in that term, okay, that, that she's, you know, I, when I first started reading, I, I was like, I don't know if I can continue this. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mm-hmm. know if I can go on with That's this. That's interesting. But the brilliance of the organization of the text, okay? Um, maybe it's 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 um, Caitlin and Martin. Maybe it's the help of Liz Welsh, okay? Mm-hmm. That allows you to build to this moment, okay? Is a moment that can teach you a number of things. And this is what we do interdisciplinarily. It can teach you about the craft of writing, okay? Mm-hmm. It can teach you about how... Um, human emotion, psychology, the questions of empathy build. 
the the ideas of revelation, and then then the ideas that are that are inherent in um, in a kind of reciprocity that lots of people on the first read of something like this don't get mm. because it on the on the first read one of the things that that uh, people come away with is that um, Martin is literally saved by Caitlin. Mm. Mm-hmm. The young black boy is saved by the young white girl. The African is saved by the American. Okay? There's no sense of reciprocity there. Mm-hmm. What is being given, okay? And um, one of the things that's being given um, is this kind of um, platonic notion that Martin gives Caitlin a gift that is um, what's well, almost immeasurable mm-hmm. in terms of what Plato says about the unexamined life. Mm-hmm. So in the second section, on the ice cream wrapper, she's forced to begin examining her life because Martin has opened up a space mm-hmm. that is revelatory for her. And so that, that you know that that's the power of Martin in this space and, and moving the book forward but in in the at the beginning yeah i mean um so jamie doesn't like you okay you're not speaking <laughs> to your best friend uh, those earrings are not at the mall okay i mean you know forever 21 is closing i mean <laughs> I, yeah you know, okay and then martin is is martin is hiding you know because mm-hmm. martin is saying well this is what school is like Okay. This okay. is what you know. This is what Zimbabwe is like. Only, mm-hmm. it's not because I'm I'm operating in a space of omission. I'm eliding everything. Okay. I just want you to think that everything is happy-go-lucky because you're my pen pal. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah. When it first, yeah, it's it's hard to like her, but it's kind of hard to like him too, because you know that there's something else there that mm-hmm. he's not admitting, okay? Mm-hmm. So the other other thing that's revelatory in the book mm-hmm. is um, the kind of work that's, that's necessary to not only build but to sustain friendships, okay? Mm-hmm. And the willingness to be open and vulnerable. And that's, that's another gift that Martin gives to her but I don't know if it's willingly mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's by chance mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting that when I first started reading the book I felt that I related well to Caitlin but then as the book went on I started to despise when I would come across her chapter simply <laughs> it's a strong <laughs> very strong word <laughs> say more oh Especially just like when reading this over, mm-hmm. it starts in what, 1997, and that was when mm-hmm. she was in seventh grade. So, two years later, you're probably estimating around like ninth grade. Mm-hmm. I'm not that far away from being ninth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and this might just be because of where I'm from, my education. Um, but I mean, Caitlin seems like a pretty well off girl. And the fact that it's her ignorance that really frustrates me hmm. that she's coming across this letter that was written on trash and that she's not realizing that schooling isn't required everywhere and that hmm. um, he has to work to support his family. And it's, I've never had to do things like that, yet I'm 
aware of the fact that some people do. And I think that it, it might be me overreading it or um, not fully understanding what she was trying to get at. But there are certain things that just frustrated me that she didn't seem to even realize that these were issues that he was facing until he had to tell her or show her um, that something wasn't okay. Mm. And I think what's interesting how that you brought that it was um, this white American girl supporting this African-American boy or this African boy. And it wasn't Caitlin. It was Caitlin's mom because Caitlin was the one who got the pen pal and who continued this correspondence. But it was Caitlin's mom who was financing all of the thousands of dollars being sent over, um, messaging people at Villanova, messaging people at other schools, coming Mm -hmm. here on days to talk to people in admissions, working at three o'clock in the morning to talk to people at different embassies that Caitlin wasn't doing any of this. And I'm not saying that she should have, Mm -hmm. but to have this message of everyone should be helping each other and like nothing, no gesture is too small. Well, when you're reading this and you're trying to compare what you do Mm -hmm. to what her mom is doing, it's completely unfeasible to have someone of a regular middle-class family doing what she's doing because it's her mom who's the strings behind this operation and mm-hmm. actually taking these things that her daughter is saying and taking them into account. And mm-hmm. personally, in my family, this would not have passed as, like, oh, I have a pen pal in a different country here. Let's give it, like, thousands of dollars to them. Let's get them into college. It just doesn't mm-hmm. seem realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that we were talking about last week, too, is a, a conversation about an act of kindness and 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 Martin's life in general and and one of the things I ended up asking was you know is it about the money yeah kind of mm-hmm. a lot of it is about the money a lot of it is also about her friendship with him her care her parents care and consideration but it is also in some way about the money right mm-hmm. the money that gets him food money that gets him to Villanova right Mm -hmm. and so it's like hard to think about you know if her parents didn't care or take action um how would this how would this friendship have continued and in what ways would this have continued Mm -hmm. um and I don't know if I have a great answer for that I don't think it would I think that the relationship would have had to have ended because the money was paying for the stamps and, like, the paper and the pens and all of this material to even send the letters back to Caitlin. If they never, ever Mm. thought of sending any money or weren't financially able to, the relationship, the correspondence would have had to have ended because there was no way to even stay in contact. So if we follow that line of inquiry rather than following what did happen Mm -hmm. I would go back to um, to this point that Caitlin kind of passes off that her mother says okay Martin's a smart boy Mm -hmm. he'll find a way now that's a cliche okay Mm -hmm. but it has a ring of truth to it okay Mm -hmm. Um, Martin would have found other alternatives Martin Mm -hmm. might have not become what an investment banker or whatever Martin does he might not live in the United States okay but Martin would have been resourceful enough 
to have found mm. the way to make right. a life. Mm-hmm. Now, it may not be the life that we recognize now, but that would have happened, okay? Caitlin wasn't the one who inspired him to go to college. He knew mm-hmm. he wanted to go. No, he knew but, he wanted but, to go. It, so, States, but right. I, I don't want to. I don't want to discount Caitlin's uh, role in all of this. Okay, mm-hmm. Caitlin, uh, her, her mother's yeah, at three o'clock in the morning. I've mm-hmm. had those three o'clock in the mornings calling someplace far away. Okay, um, you know, um, talking to people who can pull levers and you know stretch strings and all this kind of stuff. Okay, but Caitlin's role is critical in terms of providing the impetus for doing all this. Mm -hmm. She has convinced her parents that this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. In fact, Caitlin, so we're going to go back to to questions of um, thinking about Caitlin as a character in the book, Mm -hmm. and then thinking about her in allegorical terms. Mm -hmm. Then she's the ethical and moral voice Mm -hmm. to what is right Mm-hmm. in the context in which she lives, okay? Mm-hmm. And so while the money becomes important, if we looked at it allegorically, the real thing that's of importance is what you do mm-hmm. that is right. Mm-hmm. And that would be the question for students at Villanova, all right? What are the kinds of ethical decisions that you have to make? In other words, I would walk into a class and I would say to students, don't tell me what it is that you would do in order to get what you want. Tell me what it is you would not do. And that sets a line. Mm-hmm. It, it begins to set parameters about what you believe to be right behavior, ethical behavior. Mm-hmm. And so Caitlin is a voice that matures over time in terms of doing these mm-hmm. things, okay? She is the kind of lever Let's, let's put it this way. She's a button, all right? <laughs> a button, okay? Something that you push, a small mm-hmm. thing, okay, that sets other things in motion. Mm-hmm. But she couldn't, you know, it wouldn't happen if she hadn't done that, all right? Mm-hmm. Martin would have found another life, though. And it, it might not have been a life as a college graduate, maybe as a high school graduate. I, I tend, to, tend to think that he would have made it through through high school, okay? Mm-hmm. Because given the money thing again, okay? When you, when you, this is the phenomenal thing about inflation, okay? When you are looking on the American side and you say, someone says to you, you sent me $20 and that paid my tuition Mm-hmm. for an entire term and it put food on the table and paid the rent for X amount of months, okay? Mm-hmm. That's like crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. That $20 would have kept coming one way or another. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Caitlin shows you, okay, is that Caitlin, in the ethical sense, mm-hmm. is defiant of convention. In other words, she was going to do which she thought was right, mm-hmm. no matter what her parents mm-hmm. decided. Mm-hmm. She was going to send $20, $40, whatever she could muster mm-hmm. from babysitting and she camp. She send medication. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of the things this makes me think of is, um, you know, I keep kind of jumping back to my, um, my training as a creative writer and thinking about narrative, is to think about Caitlin's motives. 
And I feel like that's an interesting place where even if I may not like necessarily how Caitlin phrases things, she is a character that I see change over the course mm. of the book. Mm. I see her family change because of her over the course of the book. And I've been thinking about this in anticipation of our conversation. But I think sometimes we have ideas about how we would like people to get woke or that they should be woke in a particular time frame. And I don't know that that's something that we can really predict or sense that there's a right way for that to happen. I mean, I worked as a college counselor for a number of years, and I saw students, um, I'm not trying to be cynical, but I saw a number of students um, make gestures like Caitlin did but they didn't do them for the same reasons that Caitlin did. Mm -hmm. They made those gestures because they knew that it looked good in some capacity, that it would get a certain kind of recognition. And so even when Caitlin says something like, my friend wrote this to me on trash, and it lands on the ear in a really hard way, there is a way that that trash, that that word sounds pejorative, it sounds judgmental, um, but that that moment provides a turning point. At the same time that her motivations really do, I think, to what you were saying, Magon, they come from a place of, um, it is making her feel good to do these things. But at the same time, there is a, I think the tears that she's crying in that chapter you were reading from, Daniela, are really related to a kind of breaking up of her sense of, mm -hmm. you know, this idea of unfair, this word that she uses. And so, you know, Toni Morrison gave the commencement address in one of the years when I was, um, working at Smith College, and she talked about how you have to respect every character, even if you don't like them. And I have real respect for Caitlin, even though when she says the word exotic in the beginning of the book, I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, well, please, <laughs> let's get out the thesaurus, let's change it up. But there's right. something really honest about that, right. too. Um, and so um, all of these factors included or aside, I, I, I really see that she, I think she's made real changes. So I, I keep thinking about woke as a state of being yeah. <laughs> rather than the idea of a process. So waking yeah. in which people grow in terms of their states of wokeness. Yeah, states of wokeness. <laughs> states of wokeness, right? So, so that it's a process. Like yeah. Rather than, than thinking that I've arrived and I understand this completely, that, right. that it's it's maturation there. And that's part of what's, um, what might be expressed here in terms of thinking mm -hmm. that oh, you're going to need to, uh, need to struggle with these questions, these questions of inequality, et cetera, mm -hmm. and so on. The other, the other thing... I'm thinking about too is that um, the pejorative that we seem to struggle with these days, okay, is feeling good. So to do something and then feel good about mm, what right. you've done, okay, or to do something in order to feel good, okay. And I'm I'm questioning that. I'm I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, you should you should do things, and the things that you do, if they're right, you should feel good because you've done yes. the right thing, okay. Yeah. And so. Uh, Understanding those kinds of things, working through that, those elements, putting them in the mix and trying to figure out mm -hmm. where a book like this takes us. I mean, um, there's some rich stuff here, but it's it's Morrison. I, I keep coming back to Morrison, mm -hmm. too, because mm -hmm. I, I'm thinking about, um, about playing in the dark yeah. when she says, you know, um, I read as I was taught. And what she's actually saying is that, well, you need to learn how to read in different ways yes. 
when you approach different things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was thinking about, he wrote me a letter on trash. Okay, we're we're all reading that in a different way. Yes. You know, and I'm reading that in terms of this is revealing something to her about Mm -hmm. the very nature of his existence. This is telling me something about why he doesn't write, why he can't write, okay? And this is more revelatory than all those stamps yeah. They come on all mm-hmm. of those envelopes that I just think are exotic. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a... Uh, what do you think... <clears throat> what would you want a student, say, in, in Allie's position, right? A Villanova student, sophomore. I think a lot of first years are encouraged to read this for ACS classes. Mm-hmm. What do you as professors want students to finish this book and say afterwards or do afterwards so this is um yeah take it away (laughs) (laughs) so this this is my uh, my infamous mlk talk to students again and this is what i want students alley's age younger and older to to walk away with this, okay? So I ask them, I I say, so, you know, who's Martin Luther King? Yeah. And most of them are like, well, he's some guy. And parenthetically, maybe in front or behind some old guy. And that's where I have to stop them, okay? And I have to remind them that, you know, he's only maybe seven years older than most of you are when he starts becoming mm-hmm. politically active and moving. He's 26 years old, okay? Mm-hmm. And so the, the moment that I need students to come away with is that there are spaces, even the smallest of spaces, that you can engage and change, mm-hmm. and you don't need to wait until you're 70 years old to do it. Mm-hmm. Change is in the most general senses, brought about by young people who are fervent about the kinds of things that they want the world to be. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I take away from this, okay? Mm -hmm. Someone who walks into the space and says, he's writing me from exotic Zim what way? And, you know these letters are filled with stamps and are there elephants in your backyard and all of this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. to I can help make a change in a person's life and the change in the person's life may lead me to believe that I can make a change in the world Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I don't have to wait I can start doing Mm -hmm. it at 14 15, 16 and certainly 18 through -hmm. 22. And so part of it is also a challenge to this notion that some of us, Mm -hmm. some of us may, may put forward in the classroom and the students certainly, uh, they certainly have in the back of their minds Mm -hmm. that being at Villanova, being at an institution like Villanova is not being in the real world. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm sorry, but mm-hmm. it is, you mm-hmm. know, 
Uh, it can be as nasty and ugly and as mean as mm-hmm. any other space outside of 800 Lancaster mm-hmm. Avenue. And it can be as empowering as any other space. Mm-hmm. And you need to recognize the power that you have to make change. So mm-hmm. that, that's mm-hmm. what I would walk away. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. I, I really like what you said, Nagan. Um I think there's a lot that this book could bring to the classroom in terms of conversation. A couple of things that have come up for me in listening and in thinking about the book are that, um, you know, I remember a friend of mine once I had the chance to help her organize an office and she had many, many journals that she'd written over years. And she was very clear in saying that writing had saved her life. And I think that could be problematic to talk about this book is representing writing as saving people's lives. But I do think one of the things I would want students to really wrestle with is the way in which the act of writing is not some quaint thing. I mean, we have in many ways an epistolary work here. It is an epistolary work, these letters. And that's something that is a form that's um, been around since the early days of the novel. And it can feel, I think, a little like it has a doily over it um (laughs) but uh nothing wrong with doilies i love them and have many um but that there is something about the writing process for the writer for the reader when you know you have an audience that can be absolutely transformative of your life um, whether that is fiction or nonfiction. and so i would want students to really wrestle with and think about the power that comes with the act of writing. I used to teach fourth grade students creative writing, and the thing we would do at the beginning of class is say, let me see if I have our mantra right. I'm a writer, my voice matters, my words can change the world. I do think that this is an example of how words changed the world of um, two people who were very special to each other. So I would want to think and talk about that. I also think it's a, an exercise in what happens when you become deeply curious about someone uh, and want to know more about them, and what happens when you get to a point where you're deeply curious about somebody on their own terms, that there's something transformative about that as well, that you can't walk away from that interaction the same person, so that conversation, that sharing words are the ways that we come into our into our being, into new states of being. Um, I would want to talk about that. And at the same time, I mean, one of the things that I think because we are at Villanova and that Villanova is in the world, not apart from the world, and I think this book brings it up for me, is that um, that Caitlin's family, none of us have to go far at all to find people who um, have words and stories that we need to hear, um, that might like to hear ours. And so I think really, um, really trying to think about context and, um, and taking on um, this question of what can I do? You know, if I feel like something's unfair, if I feel like something's not right in my neighborhood, in my world, what can I do to change that? I think there's a way in which there's, uh, there can be a kind of call to action in this book mm-hmm. um, and a call to action and that, that we can sort of take it on and, um, and, and look at it in ways that bear out its complexity and, its, um, and the problems. I would want to talk about that with students. Um, yeah. 
That's what comes to mind. I was thinking about Allie's point about um, Caitlin's kind of um, ignorance, and I'm using that rather benignly. Mm-hmm. Um, her lack of knowledge about the world, but mm-hmm. also thinking about writing in 1999. Mm-hmm. So if you went back 20 years to 1980 and you thought about life in America, mm-hmm. one of the things that sheltered most people, and I'm, it didn't make a difference mm-hmm. where you came from, you know, your, your ethnic or racial background, your gender and that kind of thing, is the idea is that you didn't see poverty. Mm-hmm. You know, homeless people, what, what, that, that's a third world concept, whatever the third world is, okay? And so I think Caitlin mm-hmm. is swimming really in that space. The other part that we need to recognize in the, in the first part of the book that helps contextualize the book mm-hmm. is that there is no discussion of Philadelphia. Right. Mm-hmm. It's all Hatboro. You, you ever been to Hatboro? <laughs> it, I love it. Okay, go up there for a brunch, you know, <laughs> look at the shops, you know, and that kind of stuff. Quaint little Main Street, okay. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not, you're not going to find any homeless people, okay. Caitlin doesn't mention the question of diversity in her school. So if you go across the other side of the main space, there is mm-hmm. that kind of stuff that's going on, okay? So it's a world in the 1990s going into mm-hmm. 2000 that is insular. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what shapes the way in which the first part of the narrative works, yeah. okay? Is that I, I live in a world that is like, mm-hmm. and And it's also a world that... Um, it, that issue of money that was brought up. Mm-hmm. Martin and the rest of us and the rest of us reading the book are like, well, they're well to do, aren't they? And I'm like, eh, no, that that's a middle class family, okay? And we're not quite certain what would happen if a paycheck went missing, okay? Right. You know? Um, you know, Caitlin says, Well, you know, my mom has her own money. You know, because that was that shopping trip. This mm-hmm. is what we do with that, you know. But it, it's trying to figure out and parse out those details in terms of thinking about what's going on. And then there there are the kinds of juxtapositions and critiques that are going on. Okay? Mm-hmm. So a student could read this, and this is Toni Morrison again mm-hmm. about reading. A, most of our students would walk in and read this book, and the thing I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that they would focus on is the critique of Martin's poverty, his impoverishment, okay? This is what it means to live in Zimbabwe. I don't think that they're focusing on Martin's critique of, and we'll put it in quotation marks, the extravagance of middle-class American life, Mm -hmm. where, as Martin puts it, even the dogs have been. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a damning critique, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we, it, it would be passed over if, if you don't mm-hmm. engage right, it right. in relationship to what's going on mm-hmm. in terms of this conversation that's mm-hmm. being invited mm-hmm. in the book. Mm-hmm. So, so there's some, mm-hmm. 
there's lots of stuff you can do with this. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, idle minds, the devil's playground, whatever. Yeah. It is. I would be, you know, I'm the devil's playing with uh-huh. me, okay? Because mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, this stuff here that you can, that you could mine for mm-hmm. all kinds of different things for moments, okay? Mm-hmm. Of what happens in the space. Yeah. Allie, can you think of if there's a moment in the book that you would want to talk about with other people who've read it, like in a class? Is there... Um, well, I think that particularly the um, 9-11 uh-huh. part is particularly interesting for me because when all that happened, I was one, so yeah. I don't exactly remember anything of it, but having, I guess, lived in like a post-9-11 world and reading about like what was going on for these two people during this time they're still having this relationship while this is going on and mm-hmm. they're informing each other on something like that while being halfway across the mm-hmm. world and I thought that it was also particularly interesting that um this makes Caitlin a lot more aware of mm-hmm. like the attacks that Zimbabwe is yeah. having that when they're going through like some sort of it was like the financial crisis mm-hmm. and like everything like she was worried that he wasn't alive anymore and I think Mm -hmm. that like while it's horrific all of these things that are happening um in the world are making both her and him more aware of that life isn't always like peachy it's not easy Mm -hmm. what it's not easy for Caitlin even in Mm a, a middle class family um and so I think that I've in all my classes over the years mm. we've always talked about 9/11 but I think having this book oh, as it's it's a as a small part it's mm-hmm. not by any means a a big part of this mm-hmm. book but I think still including it and showing us that there is like learning about one thing talking about one thing mm-hmm. brings in a cultural awareness mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. everyone yeah um that i think is is really important that it didn't only affect us it affected mm-hmm. people in africa mm-hmm. yeah you'd be great majoring with us okay <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. 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 now global this is just an advertisement she, 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 she pulled out this the the global nature this is the interdisciplinary yes. yeah. you know that that Martin is saying, well, you know, this is the way we look at this. And mm-hmm. Caitlin is like, what, really? I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Caitlin is saying, well, this is how we understand it. Martin is like, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it, it's providing different kinds of perspectives on, you know, on a singular issue, making you understand that there are other ways to understand issues and that the multiplicity of thought and voices on those issues are, would give them certain kinds of clarity, but also mm-hmm. possibilities for different kinds of solutions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even with just, like, taking exams, it's something that here we don't really consider, mm-hmm. I mean, it's stressful, it's a pain to do, but we get through them and applying to colleges, taking the SATs, um, like, exams for private schools through high school, we don't really think much of them, mm-hmm. but then when we're reading Martin's sections and he's talking about his O levels and A levels or just like a mm-hmm. bunch of different exams that are so influential to him moving on in life, mm-hmm. we don't like we see like oh a seventy five dollar SAT mm-hmm. bill or whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really come across as that. Um, it's just something that you have to pay t- in order to keep going in life, and mm-hmm. I think that 
with money being such a, a strong um, theme throughout this book mm-hmm. that taking exams is something that is an excitement. It's a privilege to be able to yeah. take it. And here we're like, oh, we have to take another test. But he was mm-hmm. like, I get to take another test. I get to prove myself. Mm-hmm. I get to get one step closer mm-hmm. to achieving my dream mm-hmm. of going to mm-hmm. college in America. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really inspiring. And it definitely made me change how I start to view mm-hmm. taking things that mm-hmm. I particularly don't want to mm-hmm. because other people like it's you don't have this oh don't worry about it mm-hmm. my parents would just pay that fee it's mm-hmm. fine he was mm-hmm. like proud of the fact that he got mm-hmm. to take it and be at the top of his class so you, you bring up another another yeah. really interesting point though so so there's one issue about about um the privilege of education. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's an issue about education and privilege, okay. And Martin shows us this idea that a lot of well, a lot of American students miss, okay. His commitment to education, okay. Mm-hmm. And Caitlin, you know, somewhere in the middle of the book, mm-hmm. not toward the middle of the book, maybe in the second part of the group book, mm-hmm. she says here I am worried about, you know, what's at the mall, you know, what my friends are gossiping about, okay? Uh, and all of a sudden, I'm realizing that I have the privilege of this education, okay? Mm-hmm. But I'm not acting on that, okay? And Martin is, okay? Mm-hmm. And so it gives, it gives that notion about the value of education. Mm-hmm. It talks about Martin in the sense of thinking about his marginality, but then thinking mm-hmm. about his understanding of, you know, what Francis Bacon would argue is the power of knowledge, mm-hmm. you know. Now, Martin hasn't gotten mm-hmm. necessarily to the power of knowledge. I mean, he thinks it's going to get him to the mm-hmm. university and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff, you know. But there's another part of it in which, in a book like this, you're informing the world, in quotes, at least a broader public, mm-hmm. And you're getting people like us to sit around a microphone and talk about yeah. what this might mean. So, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, I really like what you were saying, Ali. To encounter people who have such a hunger for learning, a hunger for education, versus, you know, I think an experience many of us have had, which is, oh, oh okay, I'll drag myself to take that test. Um, and I think there's something related to that. There's an idea there that I'm, seeing related to the idea of what makes a good life, which I think is something that we talk about in ethics, we talk about in ACS, we talk about in a number of different contexts here. You know, what are the building blocks of a good life? And what role does education build in a good life? And is the good life about material gain? Or is the good life about these other kinds of gains? And um, his, I, I found that to be really something that made me continue to turn pages. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, when he wants to get into that um, that boarding school mm-hmm. and his um, talk to the headmaster, I was like, he could talk a cat off a fish cart. I mean, he could... <laughs> <laughs> Just, but, you know, the sense of, this is my chance. Right. And I have to come in and I have to... Um, and what it feels like in your body to be passionate about something and feel mm-hmm. that kind of um, drive. I think it's something that many of us don't, you know, our drive is pretty... Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Anyway. <laughs> you know, I'm still thinking about 
I'm still thinking about 9-11 now. Mm. Um, I just read, not to take us to a different book, but I read Don't Let Me Be Lonely by Claudia yeah. Rankin mm-hmm. for Comrades class a couple weeks ago. And then I decided I was going to write my thesis about Claudia Rankin, and mm-hmm. so I'm, like, very excited, and I keep thinking about 9-11. But also, like, I know that this book is not contemporary. It is a little bit older, this book. Um, but I feel like there's been, like, a resurgence in talking about 9-11 in TV and movies and literature. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about Euphoria, sort of, like, the start of her life, that HBO show. The start mm-hmm. of her life is she's born into the chaos of Mm 9-11 and it was like it's it's given me because I was alive and I do remember it um it's giving me like this new way of looking at this very global catastrophe um but I'm still only privy to like a very American so when you when you when you're thinking about 9-11 from the standpoint of an historian, hmm. which sometimes I'm purported to be, <laughs> um, and you take 9-11 and you project it forward into 2020, okay? 9-11 is a defining moment hmm. of this period of American history. It is how we got to this moment, all right? It is a way in which the people, how can I put this? The people who, who um, well, i use that term again, who purport to govern us, pull all the levers of governance, okay? Because they have identified what seems to be a, a tangible enemy, mm-hmm. and they have tied it to a very tangible occurrence that Martin only allows us to understand has different perspectives mm-hmm. in relationship to mm-hmm. how it might be viewed okay and so you're right we mm-hmm. we view it this is a, this is um, this element everything that we see in the past 20 years mm-hmm. this element has shaped been shaped in an American dynamic an American's perspective okay mm-hmm. that allows us to function not only globally but Internally, mm-hmm. in terms of our political yeah. exercises, okay, mm-hmm. in terms of how we identify mm-hmm. who the enemy is, okay, mm-hmm. or the enemy's plural, okay, mm-hmm. and this book and other books like it suggest that there are other ways of seeing mm-hmm. the world and mm-hmm. this moment mm-hmm. and the moments that lead to nine eleven itself, yeah, that we don't talk about. We we hardly ever talk about mm-hmm. what comes up for me as you share that Magon is that um, the way 9-11 is not past but has continued mm-hmm. to influence this moment is in this moment um, I can't see a flag flying on a house and not think of what flags meant to me after 9-11 on one level I know that they were a symbol of air quotes patriotism mm-hmm. But I felt like they were being flown in a very aggressive way, Mm -hmm. being put, especially a flag if I see it on the back of somebody's truck or their vehicle. And so, you know, it's interesting, too, to think about that moment in this book, because I feel like the conversations that I was privy to living in Northampton, Massachusetts, 
um, around 9-11. It was a very, people had a lot of feelings and a lot of mixed feelings because they were thinking about the events that had invited and precipitated 9-11 and how we, we were going to go into the future knowing that um, we love war so much. In, in some ways, in it some ways, a, well, in, for, yeah. it's an interesting point you made because, in some ways, I think they were not thinking about the events that precipitated 9 11. Yeah. They were asking that question that almost immediately after 9 11, the moments mm-hmm. after 9 11, the hours, the days, they were asking the, the question as if it was unprecipitated by saying, why do those people hate us? I've got some reasons. Yeah, right, right, right. right. But, 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 they but, were, yeah. but they, it was like Americans were like, yes, yes. We're, we're just great folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Why, how could they probably? This is, this, is, this is an unmotivated gesture on their part. Right, right. And so um, that's another way of thinking about, you know, mm-hmm. Martin saying, this is kind of what the world looks mm-hmm. like. I mean, mm-hmm. in some ways, okay? Yeah. And in some ways, we have to be careful. Again, where I began in our conversation of thinking about, so this is a kind of savior narrative, okay? Yeah. Um, this is Africa in chaos. This is mm-hmm. what Africa is always about. This is mm-hmm. what, when I first began at Villanova, one of my colleagues said to me, uh, you know, Africa was better off under colonization, you know? Uh, you know, this is these are yeah. these are the moments that you can get from this book because mm-hmm. if we're not careful in terms of of examining it, okay. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to to your question or mm-hmm. your point about uh, being in a classroom and thinking about the good life. This is ACS, okay, and mm-hmm. all the the issues that come up in ethics class, okay. Yeah. And then in philosophy, it is really going back to Plato and saying, so are you thinking about your life? And not just your life as an individual, mm-hmm. right? But your life in community. Yes. What's it mean to be in community? Yes. And all of a sudden, Caitlin is forced to be in community. Yeah. A different kind of community. A community. If you, if you, I, I love wordplay. So, well, you know my wife, okay? So I, I, I love wordplay. And part of <laughs> part of the wordplay is to think about about community and that that C O M M in terms of commitment. Mm-hmm. You know the idea that it's bringing all these things together and Caitlin's sense of community mm-hmm. comes out of her commitment yeah. to Martin, okay? It becomes a new community. Mm-hmm. But it becomes one that she can embrace. It's one that she can build, in mm-hmm. effect. Mm-hmm. And that's empowering. Yeah, and I don't think that we can broaden that sense of community unless we get out of our own subject right. position. Right. Right. And they do that. Yeah. That happens yeah. for Caitlin yeah. in, this, yeah. in this book. So. I just love listening to you guys talk. I feel like I could do it for hours just listening to the two of you. And Allie, too, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I listen to Allie all the time. Um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> One of the things that I... Maybe this might not be the best way to end our conversation, but maybe this is where I want to take the conversation, is hmm. I think there are... Even giving someone like Caitlin the benefit of the doubt by mm-hmm. saying that she was young, she is maturing, she is growing into a, a person who is great and charitable, is learning from Martin. 
likewise on Martin's side, they're both growing together. I think there are still quote air quote problematic aspects to this book mm-hmm. and I think that there are really redemptive aspects of this book too mm-hmm. as we know and I want to tease out maybe the way that we still talk about those problematic parts of it and still maybe think of it as a good book or mm. or acknowledge I don't know how do I how do I enjoy this book mm-hmm. and acknowledge its problematic qualities? Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's the best way to form that question, but... Mm-hmm. So let, let me be... professorial. <laughs> do it. Please. You weren't yeah, yeah, yeah. previous to this? No, I, I was just shooting the breeze. <laughs> so, so, so here's, here's, the, here's the point that we need to approach all text, okay? Mm-hmm. So what texts do we have that are not problematic? Okay. And in air quotes again, the problems in the text are fundamentally our teaching moments. They are learning mm-hmm. moments. And so that, that's mm-hmm. where we probably where we need to begin with this text. Okay. So I'm laughing with students. I'm, again, Toni Morrison. Okay. And we're reading, a, reading an essay by Toni Morrison. And I say to students... Dare I admit that I have issues with Professor Morrison here? And they're like, do you dare? We know your your wife. We know your colleagues. You better not say this, okay? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, she... And, and so um, we do find every text that we encounter, given the ways in which we encounter it, the ways of reading, our own, our own needs from the text, what mm. we see on the page, what we hear, we find those exchanges problematic and there are things that we have to work through. Mm-hmm. And I think that working through them is probably the greatest asset that we have in terms of the formulation of our intellectual lives and our intellectual selves in community. And in fact, the classroom becomes the wonderful space for literally doing what we do specifically at Villanova at an Augustinian institution that talks about a community of scholars, okay? Mm -hmm. You work through these questions together. Mm -hmm. So I don't want a text that doesn't have any problems. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think I'm ever going to find one. Right, right. Okay. I guess I would just add to that... um, you know, when you asked the question, Daniela, what came up for me is that I see the book as a tool mm-hmm. um, and that all tools have some kind of limitation. I think this sort of picks up on what you're talking about, Magan. Um, I also think that that extends to me as a reader, that I have problems, um, <laughs> that my <laughs> ability to be clear-sighted, to see things in their full, you know, their full beauty, their full complication, I need to be in conversation with other people Mm -hmm. to make that happen. And so um, what I, what I think is interesting, and this is maybe more sort of editorial, that um, often when I'm reading work for magazines, or I'm reading student work, and some of the things that I think we might consider problematic in this book, for example, the sort of um, the othering, the kind of notion of the kind of 
notion of Africa as just one place as opposed to having all of these intricacies or even within a country, looking at things ahistorically, et cetera, um, that one of the things that I'm looking for is the, is the writer signaling to me, I'm the editor here or I'm providing feedback, are they signaling to me that they're aware of that and they're engaging that question? Um, I think to be fair to this book, I would have to reread it and think about that question, but I don't see that as part of what this book sees as its job. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know, I think that it, I think some of the things we're bringing up in terms of critique, I think, I imagine the authors and the editors would be pleased that we were having a conversation about it, but I don't know that the book is always signaling to me that it sees what its own problems are. I think there are in places I want to be generous, but that's just sort of my mm-hmm. first hit. I'm looking at you, Magon, because I don't know if you have the, a reaction in Ali. I'm curious to know what you think, but, too. But the, uh, so I'm, I'm thinking about um, about the reluctance and the laziness of the reader, okay? Yeah. So most people will approach this book and it will be one read and then let's pass it on. Let's pass it by. And the real element of, of, of any text, okay, is in its reread, in its multiple readings, yeah. in which on every indication, again, this is Morrison, it's Barthes, it's Foucault, and any any moment, the text unfolds differently. Yeah. And it unfolds differently given why you might be reading it, okay? So you might be reading it and thinking about Ali. You could read it and say, so I, I want to look at, at the growth, literally the growth of a young woman, a young woman of some kind of privilege in relationship to Martin, mm-hmm. how she becomes woke or her waking <laughs> moments, okay? Becoming. And then, then, then to think about um, her maturation and the elements of agency. If you go back and you're reading the text for that purpose, it's a different book. Right. It's a different book. Okay? Right. If you go back and you say, I want Martin to really, I want to see what Martin is really doing in this book, mm-hmm. then that becomes a different kind of exercise. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or if you use this book and you walk into a class and say, I'm teaching um, uh, contemporary Southern African history, and I want you to understand what's going on in Zimbabwe read chapters X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z. So the Mm reread becomes substantive and it always informs us in different ways. Mm -hmm. So that's... Yeah. I want to dive in and just say something. (laughs) That um, I I like what you're saying about the the Mm rereading and that that reading is an iterative process that we keep building upon it and that also we read into the book you know there's the text that's there but then there's what I bring to the reading of it and there's Mm -hmm. something that I can do in that that it may have no intention of having as part of its subject matter or conversation but to sort of give you an example I think of a moment I'm thinking about is when um when Caitlin and her friend go to like the black student union group or they go to the breakdancing group and the, the sort of what I remember from those scenes is that it's a kind of like, well, they didn't talk to us and um, we didn't feel welcome and um, and moving on. 
that I think the text and the writers and the editors have made a deliberate decision. They've not, it's not the project of this book to engage that moment mm-hmm. and to un- unpack or dismantle that moment and talk about what was happening there. We don't get more from Caitlin about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't get more from the text about it. Though those two moments are ripe with (laughs) possibilities for conversation, for talking about privilege and ontological expansiveness and all Mm. these sorts of things. That's not something the text seems to want Mm. me as a reader. I can. I bring that. I brought that to the text um, from personal experience and in reading and from life as a mixed black girl. Um, But that the moment is moved on from. And mm-hmm. so that's some of what signals to me that what the book sees as its project. I can make a new project for the exactly. book as I read yes. it. Yes. So that's sort so, of so what you, I. So you, 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 the, the new project is, is to take yes. that moment, okay? So it's critique. The, the, break, yeah. the break dancing moment and to say, you know, so you're in class and you say, so what are the assumptions that Caitlin and her crew are working on right. when they walk in and they're right. going to, whatever they're going to do with. Dancing. They didn't bring any cardboard. Yeah, so right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you don't have any cardboard. You got no scully, okay? Are you, are you gonna, what are you going to spin around on? Okay, you, know, you have to use your head here. You don't know right, these right, things. Okay? Right, right. But your assumption, and then mm-hmm. the, the 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 other assumption that's underlining is that yeah, we're doing this because we think. We surmise, we fantasize yeah. that this is something that Martin would do. Yeah. He would know it, okay? And so it's back to this whole thing. Africa is this one thing. Yeah. Okay? It's a country. Mm-hmm. Even okay? blackness. Even And, and blackness mm-hmm. is just simply monolithic and homogenous, okay? Mm-hmm. And so that brings us back to where we open up talking about Martin at Villanova, okay? The the assumptions that almost everyone around Martin is making, okay, is that, Martin, you're at Villanova, and though they're not a lot, there are other people here who look like you. Mm-hmm. Martin, they are you. And Martin and they are saying, no, there's some real differences here, okay? Mm-hmm. Some real differences here. Some real assumptions that are going on yeah. in that population that we, from the outside, want to think of as, if not homogenous, mm-hmm. as um, at least complementary to one another. Mm-hmm. It's not. It, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those become mm-hmm. those become the moments in in. Imperfect text. Of um, <laughs> that, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would go with the break dancing, you know, and why, um, you know, why the Black Student Union, you know, and then I would go to, you know, I would go to to the intertextuality that we yeah. we didn't we didn't talk about, but the stuff we bring, mm-hmm. okay, but the stuff that the text references without knowing that it references, okay. Right. So the the moment with the Black Student Union. Is that text? Why are all the black kids sitting together uh-huh. in the lunchroom? Okay, and it's like, well, let's reverse that. Why are the white kids sitting together in the lunchroom? You know, but it, but those questions about thinking about that these are spaces that you can enter without 
taking the time, the energy, and the effort to understand them. Mm-hmm. And Caitlin's epiphany in the section that we focus on includes, okay, is the beginning of an attempt to understand the context out of which Martin comes. Great. I think that with rereading, I really like that comment, especially because I was, I read it first and then like would go back and like trying to like, you would give me like questions to think about. Um, And I know that we talked about this, but I think that word choice is Mm. a very interesting thing. One that always stuck out to me, even on the back cover, it's the true story of an all American girl and a boy from Zimbabwe and the letter that changed both of their lives forever for the thing that really stuck out to me, the phrasing of an all-American girl and right. a boy from Zimbabwe. I don't know if this was an intentional choice mm-hmm. that um, was Welsh decided or it was something that even crossed their mind, but I can't help but think of all-American girl. You think of all-American, like baseball, hot dogs, like true classic raw American things, <laughs> and then you have a boy from Zimbabwe. And I can't help but like distinguish the, the mm-hmm. connotation of, well, mm-hmm. he's just a boy from Zimbabwe, but she's an all-American girl. Yeah. And that there's these even American girl dolls. Like There's, there's things yeah. about that you associate, and it might just be me because mm-hmm. I am American, but these like things that she chooses that they talk about writing on trash, that he mm-hmm. is from, like, a very poor area. He can't even afford flip-flops, like, how mm-hmm. $20 is so influential on his life. It's these things that maybe they did it so that it does spark conversation, it sparks interest, and mm-hmm. wants you to dive deeper into the story. Or it's that there is still this bias and there's this one superpower over mm-hmm. the other mm-hmm. um, even with like 9-11, the, the fact that we were wondering, well, why is this happening to us? Like, mm-hmm. what well, we think we're stand-up people. Mm-hmm. When there's still that ignorance of, we think we're fine, we think we're great, mm-hmm. I don't understand why other people don't like us. Because yeah. we're all American. Yeah. We have to be yeah. stand-up and great, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I think that's a really brilliant comment. Um, we have, our words are, our, our words, <laughs> our lives are overwhelmed with words. And we see so many of them. I think it's really easy to gloss over something like that and not stop mm-hmm. and really think, what is the rhetoric of that? What mm-hmm. is it suggesting? Like what you were saying, Magan, what are the assumptions here around what all American means or a boy from Zimbabwe? There's a tonal quality to mm-hmm. that. There's a juxtaposition being set up. There's a history around the use of these terms and um, the etymology of these terms. Mm-hmm. And that it's not until we slow down and really start thinking about the ways in which rhetoric is being employed that we, I don't know, have the sort of question mark appear Mm -hmm. in a speech bubble above our heads going, hmm, I wonder. But I just feel like language and power are tangoing all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, language is power. It is power, exactly. And you use it like it's... Well, like yeah, well, but that's 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 part of the power that, that, that when it's being shaped, we as the consumers, if we can, yes. if I can use that term, we as the consumers of the language are we're conditioned 
not to interrogate the language. Right. So the, 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 the point that you bring up, I mean, again, I, I th- I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. This is a brilliant point. The, the question of, of all American, when you think about the intertextuality, what, what is speaking to what it means to be all American, okay? Mm-hmm. And so the intertextuality I'm playing with is that mm-hmm. you bring up something like dolls, okay? Well, the material mm-hmm. text, the doll, what does the all American doll? Mm-hmm. What's the all-American girl look like? Right. Okay, mm-hmm. what is you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mom apple pie and whatever the hell else we're supposed to have that's all-American? <laughs> you know, what is that all yeah. about? I yeah. mean, how, how do we understand it? And then the boy from Zimbabwe. Well, that's the first page of the book or somewhere. We're exotic. I mean, where is yeah. that? He's from. He's from far off. He's from someplace we can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. How do you say that? Okay, yeah. Zimbabwe, okay? I mean, it's it's just there. But the other part, if we're thinking about this in, in relationship to a world, not just simply the United States, but a world that is driven by consumption, is that this is all put together in order to bring the reader in the person who's going to purchase this text Mm -hmm. with a sense of familiarity Mm -hmm. so Adrian and I both know if you get someone a publisher and they say we're going to do your book okay Mm -hmm. and you're like well this is what I want the cover to look like and the publisher says I don't think so Mm -hmm. and you're like why? I, my idea is great for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the publisher will say, that's not sexy enough. That won't sell books. Mm-hmm. And so here's what will sell books. The all-American girl. What does that conjure up? Well, she's blonde. Uh, Caitlin, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. maybe blue-eyed. We want to think about that, okay? She's middle class, Okay. She hangs out with Michael J. Fox and whatever else is in there, okay? And the exotic boy whose name we can't even, well, Gonda maybe, okay? You know, how do we get that, okay? But we so say it's, yeah, so Mm -hmm. there, you know? And of course, the all-American girl brings out our best qualities Mm -hmm. because she saves someone. Mm -hmm. And that's where we go from there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can anticipate that before you even open the book. Right. And just because you were touching the book, I started to look at it. And the spines, red, white, and blue. Yeah. If we're talking about familiarity, right? Yeah. In mm-hmm. the back of the book, everything's in red, red white, and blue. blue. Mm-hmm. And sure, it's probably, that reminds me of like the U.S. Post Office. Like, yeah. I have to imagine that's mm-hmm. like what the... Mm-hmm. It's like an airmail envelope. It's a stamp, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. But it's an American... Mm-hmm. Like postal service kind of yeah. mm-hmm. is what I'm. Is, was so what, I'm what, what would have happened if it was if the cover of the book was simply all of those stamps that had been mm-hmm. on an envelope mm-hmm. from Zimbabwe? Mm-hmm. That, it's, but right. those are choices, okay? Mm-hmm. Those are a marketing and not choices elements. that yeah. they necessarily yeah. made, but yeah. I think it's choices that we as a reader mm-hmm. are naturally going to pick up either consciously or subconsciously. So, mm-hmm. so if we went back to the question of, of the numerous ways in which you could use this text in class, okay? Mm-hmm. One of the arguments you might be able to make going on what you've just revealed to us is to say, don't even open the book. Look at mm-hmm. the front cover, 
the back cover and the spine and then mm-hmm. talk to me about what you think is in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we how do we how do we begin what what is contextualizing all the other stuff in between here? Mm-hmm. And that becomes an interesting exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about that in terms of the editing and publishing class that I'm teaching that you know, so often we pick up a book. I think it's a little less the case with this one, in part because we know there are two authors and then there's also Liz Welch. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we'll pick up a book and think that this is something that the author put together. And there are so many people involved mm-hmm. in the putting together of the book. And many choices are outside of the author's hands. But the way in which um, the sort of visual rhetoric of it, um, the blurbs on the back, I mean, these are from... The New York Times and I think Publishers Weekly, but in other books, you know, who are the authors who've been asked to to comment? Mm-hmm. Um, we note that there's the United States in yellow, there's the African continent in black, uh, um, not in black, in green. Like, what if instead of the airmail, we had had like red, black, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and green around here? Like, it would have suggested something. It would have suggested something else, and that you know, publishing, um, as we've talked about in my class, is at this intersection of art and commerce that the people who've put all this time and energy into this book want people to read it. They have a sense of who's going to read it. They've probably done some market research on that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, this is the cover that we think will make it sell to these people the best in some ways. So many years ago, I wrote a book and I said, uh, here's the title, and it's, it's a brilliant title. I, I, this is what we need to go with. And I said, I want this book to be called Riddling the Sphinx. And my editor looked at me like I was crazy and said, No. <laughs> I'm like, no, this is this is a great title. I mean, this is what I'm writing. Riddling the Sphinx. I mean, you know, cryptic exception song. And she said, That's not sexy enough. <laughs> she said, You need to either have sex or race in the title explicitly or implicitly for this to go. And so the book became race and da 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 da. And you know, I won't say it was a bestseller, but <laughs> I got past the editor. The other thing is that sometimes when you're a writer and you go through these moments mm-hmm. with the institutional editorial process, not the process with your colleagues, okay, who are like really tearing you apart and like, you know, but you're you're at the end of this point and the editor in the publishing house says, we think you should change this. And in spite of your best intentions, you just simply say, change it. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're I don't know if I can see that in this work, but I know that that occurs yes. in other works, and I know that it's occurred in my own work. Mm-hmm. You know, that I, you just you just talk about it. Yeah. You get it out. You know, <laughs> yeah. you get yeah, it out. Yeah. I, I have other things I need to do. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, I want to go watch a basketball game. I'm, you know, <laughs> I you know, make a dentist appointment. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> do it. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you. Thank you. We just talked for so long. Wait, I'm so happy about that. We have such a plethora of things. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, next time we want you to join the conversation.